Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Deal with 
Good morning, beautiful people. This is Nube Brown, your host here at Prison Focus Radio. I want to thank you for joining me this morning. We are actually going to be um, hearing from Yolanda Huang, who is a lawyer representing some prisoners in San, the San Francisco jails here who have a civil lawsuit uh, pending. We don't often get to hear about what's happening in our jails, um, but I think you will be... Um, uh, kind of, I, it will be a little bit eye-opening um, if you think that, as jails are supposed to be, that it is for pre-trial uh, sentencing, um, people who are there because they have not yet been, um, they, they've been charged, um, but not yet convicted and, and sentenced. So this is a pre-trial uh, circumstances that people are in, and yet they are in there for years and years on end. So we'll be hearing from Yolanda Wong later. And also, we are going to be um, talking about the big loss that we had yesterday. Romaine Chip Fitzgerald did move on to the ancestors, and this is a big community movement loss for all of us and it's very raw um, he died just yesterday and so I'll be reading a piece from him right now the family is doing what they need to do um, to prepare uh, for the preparing for um, his passing and so um, I'm going to try and just bring some words uh, from from Chip Later in the later in the program, and I hope that during this this sadness, there is also a continued um, encouragement to know that what know what's at stake. That we must continue to move and struggle and act in solidarity, act in shared humanity, Ubuntu. Uh, to shed, continue to shed light on what is taking place within our prisons, jails, and detention centers. Um, the fact that Chip was an elder and he spent 51 years caged, um, contained by this sick system, the prison industrial slave, slave complex, um, should tell us and should sober us into what is really taking place and what we need to continue to do to shed light on it, um, about shed light on what's happening. This is a human rights crisis. It is a continued crime against humanity that we would allow people to die, just literally age out and die in prison, people in for 50 years. Um, we need to really reconcile with that and continue to shine the light on who's behind bars, why, and why we have elders in our prisons and why this system officials are letting them die in there. All right, 
We are going to go ahead and get started with the show, and we're going to be hearing um, my short interview with Yolanda Huang. All right, good morning, everyone. I have with me here Yolanda Huang. Um, she is a lawyer representing some of the prisoners from the San Francisco County Jails who have a pending class action lawsuit. Good morning, Yolanda. Thank you for being here this morning. Good morning. All right, fantastic. So tell us about this uh, class action lawsuit that's taking place. There are actually two class action lawsuits. One is on the fact that San Francisco... All the jails in San Francisco are built so that no prisoner ever gets to be outside and never gets to have any sunshine. Um, the only natural light they have is this tiny little window um, that isn't even directly to the outside, but most of them look through a corridor, and then through a corridor, there's a little bit of the outside that they can see. And so these people are deprived of being outdoors, and that's been proven to be uh, hugely detrimental to human health. Okay, absolutely. How did you uh, come to this? Did, did, uh, did some of the prisoners reach out to you, or did you reach out to them? Um, I was contacted by prisoners that I knew, and um, I think most defense lawyers aren't really aware or don't think about what it's like for people to live inside a jail. And people live inside of San Francisco County jails for years, you know, two, three, four, five, six, seven, up to 10 years, they're stuck in San Francisco County jails. And they live in these tiny little cells. So you can imagine if you are locked up in a tiny little cell and you never get to be outside, what that does for your psychological uh, um, state. And it's not just a psychological state, but that humans need sunshine. It is important for our ability to regulate ourselves and our circadian rhythm. We are animals, and animals need to have the, the uh, light and dark of, of uh, our day help regulate our systems. Agreed. Yolanda, I'd love for you to unpack um, kind of this journey that you were on, being a criminal defense lawyer, uh, but then viewing this this case or your work through a human rights lens, noticing the the human rights abuses that were taking place, and maybe it was a surprise that uh, what was what was showing up as you. Con- continued on, if you would, yes, so if you would unpack this uh, journey, um, I would love that. Um, it wasn't a surprise. It was just more that, it, you know, I hadn't ever bothered paying attention to it. Hmm. And I think um, as someone who has a deep commitment to equity and justice, it made me look at what is the definition of equity and what is the definition of justice? And part of the journey was um, that I became a parent and I became a volunteer in the public schools. And when I was in the public schools, and I have two boys, I became very aware of how boys are limited, constrained in the types of acceptable behaviors. Like boys don't cry. Boys don't cry. 
um, boys don't express sadness or what we consider weak emotions. The only emotion boys are allowed is anger. And I saw that cultural imposition on my sons. And I also realized going into the schools that they, the way they dealt with boys is they sent them out in the hallways. And, and you know, you've got seven-year-olds in second grade standing in the hallways, and they're generally boys of color. And then you see that these boys of color get angrier and angrier. And um, when they're 13 or 14, they start getting into, you know, juvenile court and probation. And then they end up in, in the criminal justice system. I mean, that's just the trajectory. We, all, we are all very familiar with that trajectory. And so the question is why? And what you have now is California has, a, for the first time, a surgeon general who is focused on the issue of trauma and how trauma informs both uh, health to health crisis as well as uh, a mental health crisis. And it's clear to me that what jails are doing now is they're not allowed to do, I mean, they're considered, they were considered 100 years ago or 150 years ago to be an enlightened approach because we stopped um, doing corporal punishment. People used to be flogged. People used to be put to death in horrible ways. In the Middle Ages, people were tortured. Um, and we don't, we, those things are no longer acceptable. That's the Eighth Amendment. Cruel and unusual punishment is not permitted. It's not saying that, you know, physical harm doesn't happen. It does happen. But compared to what happened in the Middle Ages where torture was the way to do punishment, it's not what we do anymore. And instead, what has happened is we now leave the body intact, but we destroy the soul. We destroy the mind, we destroy the emotions, and we turn people into a shell of themselves. And it, it's like when we talk about human rights, then what does it mean to be human? Mm-hmm. What does it mean if um, in a jail, no one is allowed to sing? Right. No one is allowed to dance. No one listens to music. And if you think in terms of the great contribution that the African diaspora has given to the world, it's in music and dance. Right. Right? And so in jail, you are not allowed to dance and you are not allowed to sing. So what are we doing to the soul of the people? Mm -hmm. And what is the soul? I mean, this is a, a, a personal philosophical position. But if if we take that away and that is the punishment, right? right? Is is that what we want to do? And and what are we left with? If that's the conscious choice, I think that if we as a society are going to say what we want to do, if you do a bad thing, we want to crush your soul, then we need to understand that that's what we're saying and what the consequences of that are. And I think that we have to do it in a very open, public way, rather than in the way that it's being done now, which is hidden, out of sight, not subject to inspection, not subject to public debate. Now, I I think that um, that's what needs to happen. It needs to come out in the open, and we need to acknowledge exactly what our jails are doing and exactly what our jails produce and the fact that our jails have huge numbers of people. It's not just the fact that, you know, San Francisco only has 550 people in jail now, but the number of people they arrest and put into jail and arrest and put into jail, that's a large number of cycling that goes through. Mm -hmm. 
and it affects not only just um, the people in jail, but it affects their families. It, it affects their children. So we have then produced a second, another generation of traumatized people who end up in that cycle, starting with public school, where they're sent out to the hallway because they don't have a productive way of processing their experiences and processing their feelings. Yes, um, that is well said. And, and I really do want to highlight uh, for the listeners that you're a lawyer. And to, to hear this from you, uh, I think what we tend to you know, have this idea about lawyers and the work that they do. And I think sometimes we end up a little bit dehumanizing them as well, right? And this is partly why I wanted to continue with this part of the conversation because I I really appreciate you just you, you sharing yourself and I and I agree with you and I think that there is also an in, indirect but just as uh, palpable um, negative effect that's happening on the rest of us so I, it's um, it's painful to hear what's happening inside of our jails what's happening to people thus what's happening to their families, which means these are all our community members. These are people that we in some way are going to be interacting with. And what about the people, the staff members inside, that they are inflicting this, this pain, trauma, and abuse on these people? Peeled Sorry. is the fact that the court ordered uh, one hour sunshine if you've been in jail for more than four years, and Dennis Herrera, the city attorney, appealed oh. it. So that little bit of sunshine was not acceptable. He had to appeal it and challenge that court order. And that's mm. something that I think uh, the city needs to know. Is this mm -hmm. how you want your city resources to be expended? expended both in imposing this and then trying to enforce it so it says something about dennis herrera and the values he's trying to espouse even though he presents himself as mr liberal right yeah that i yes we really need to question that i i mean because it goes beyond i mean it's deeper like you said it's deeper than than the financial monetary resources that we are using for this. It's about a value system of how we are treating people. This is an egregious human rights violation that's happening. And I don't think most people knew that this was happening inside of the jails. They don't. <laughs> that, that's this, the whole point. Yes. Jails are mm -hmm. far away. There are these buildings that nobody goes into unless you're in jail or working in jail. They mm -hmm. don't let you come in. Mm -hmm. When was the last time there was kids with the, on a field trip going to the jail? Never, never. Nobody knows what the inside of that jail looks like. Nobody knows what the inside of a cell looks, feels like. They don't want you to know. And there's a reason why they don't want you to know. Right. Because then you would have a reaction or an opinion of the kind of environment that they have created and are imposing. Right? Absolutely. And I think that um, one of the things that was interesting is when there were those mass arrests following Occupy. Mm -hmm. You know, when they were arrested two, three hundred people mm -hmm. who were basically white college educated. Many of them were white college educated. They were horrified at what was inside a jail. And that's part of what, you know, it gave strength 
to the movement to do uh, penal reform because here are people who never thought about what it was like to be in a jail. And then when they got in it, they were horrified. So I think that people need to know. I think that there needs to be public debate and uh, of what is the condition of the jail. The public needs to know what the condition of the jail is. I would like for there to be field trips. Have someone go into the jail and sit inside that cell for 15 minutes and think about what it would be like if you were in that cell for a year, which is what the men in in San Bruno County Jail have been in. They've been in their cells basically for a year right mm-hmm. they they have not been out of that cell for even four hours at a stretch they are in that cell 23 to 51 hours at a stretch yeah this what is... does that feel like with no music no singing no dancing no phone calls no books you sit there and that's the question Right. What does that feel like? We are not required out here to even think about it. So I appreciate that you are really pushing for that. Um, again, we don't we don't get to hear from the lawyers. We hear from the prisoners. We need to listen to the people that are on the inside, too, because they have been telling us. They have been telling us what's been happening. And people don't want to hear it. And we have they to don't. start hearing it. They don't. And I, I, I think... Is this is what I think the whole movement started? Is at some point you're going to let these people out. Mm-hmm. You can't hold them forever. They did not. Most of the people did not commit a crime that you have any right to put them in jail for life. And when you let them out, what happens to them? What kind of human being will they be? Right. You've taken them. You've crushed their soul. Yes, you've held them for five or ten years. But how can they be a productive person? How can they even support themselves? You know, have you made our community safer? Or is it, has it been just a huge expenditure of money for, you know, a temporary band-aid? Getting back to talking about something as, um, as humanly necessary as sunlight that someone is going to appeal allowing an hour of sunlight a, a month, oh, a week. I an mean, hour a week. that, uh, yeah, we really, we, we really need to, uh, yeah, talk about uh, sunlight. We need to put the sunlight on, on this issue. And, um, and like you said, have public debate. And I and and that your lawsuit now. Did your lawsuit start as uh, getting it was a litigation to sunlight? Cha- yes, it was a litigation challenging the, the total denial of sunlight. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Wow. We had a. Um, there's a beautiful person in our um, in our activist community that did a, um, a an art showing. Um, talking about sunlight is a human right, and get, and got letters uh, from people on the inside um, talking about that very issue of being um, in solitary confinement and being deprived of sunlight and and what it was doing to them. Yeah, no, I have expert witnesses talking about how mm-hmm. it it creates um, 
mental and emotional decline. Yeah. Um, I, I think one thing I wanted to say was, I'm, I'm actually looking up, there, there was that story of that felon who hit the pedestrian, I, I may have already described this, hit the pedestrian in the crosswalk in San Francisco. He oh, was drunk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and um, he, um, he, he actually called me before he was released. And he had been in custody for a long time you know, more than five years. And when he called me, he was a, um, he was a, a model prisoner in San Bruno jail. He worked in the, in the laundry. He had a lot of freedom cause he pushed the laundry around and, uh, um, delivered it to the various housing units. And when he called me, what he, his concern was, he knew he had a, an alcohol problem. But he said that when he left, he would get what, you know, a little bit of money and then he would be homeless and not have a job. And he was a little panicked at what his life would be like when he was released. And he wanted to know how to get a hold of London Breed to say that even if he was paid 10 or 15 cents an hour for all the hours that he had worked over the five years, he would have a little bit of money. And he would be able to live, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Troy McAllister was his name. And he knew that he had these issues. And he knew that it would be difficult for him. So in this situation, the sheriff had had him under total custody, 24 hours a day for years. And it didn't help him develop greater self-control, greater judgment. And so, of course, when he gets out, he's going to get drunk because he needs to escape his reality. Right? Right? So, you know, we all were screaming, people were screaming and yelling at Cheza Boudin for not, you know, arresting him and prosecuting him more. But no one talked about the fact that before he was released, the jail had had total custody of him, and this is what they produced. They had five... You know? Yeah, absolutely. Say that, Yolanda. That is, that's, this is the stuff that people need to hear. Because this is on the basic human level about how we are treating people. Well, it's just telling you, you that jail is a failure. It is. Total, this whole, the whole system, the prison industrial complex is a, is a failure. Because it's, all it's doing is making people worse than when well, they went in. And they're certainly not going to be better when they come out. So Troy McAllister is uh, you know, a perfect example mm-hmm. of someone who had been in custody for a long time and did not come out better uh, than, than, you know, and, 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 and that being in jail did not improve him at all. Absolutely. And the other thing, let me ask you about, because uh, you clearly know so much more about, about jails, what does it mean to be in jail for five years? Why are you in jail for five years? Aren't you supposed to be going to trial or, or having your case taken care of? Why does it take five years for someone to finally get to court? I have no idea what the status is in San Francisco on that and why people are in custody for a very long time. You know, I, I, you know many of them are represented by the public defender and... Um, 
what their strategy is. So I can't really discuss that. Okay. But it is also very clear that many people are in jail awaiting trial for a very long time. All right, folks, I ended up having to make this a two-part conversation. So you're going to hear a little bit of a disjointed um, um, continuation of the conversation. Here we go. Constitutionally, if you are pretrial, you are innocent and you are not to be punished. But that's not the way they live. And if you can think about what it would mean to live in a closet without ever going inside, outside for years, I think most people would consider that just the fact of what that is like to be punishment. Absolutely. And I think the courts agree with that. You know, people have the right to go outside. People have the right to have some exercise. People have the right to have, you know, a modicum of, of, of space around them. We wouldn't put a dog in a closet for a year. Right. We wouldn't. Um, do you have any thoughts on how this affects um, their pre-trial status? Like, so... What is this going to do for them as they're trying to, you know, they're trying to fight for their their right to be treated as, as human beings while they are being detained pre-trial? How is that going to affect them when they actually get to trial? I want to make two points. Okay. And one is that if you are in solitary confinement at Pelican Bay, they require that you be released for outside cell exercise. I think... Um, two hours a day, mm-hmm. and that is more. That is more than what people in San Francisco jail and San Bruno get at the moment. And um, there are more regulations about what prisons can do than jails, because jails used to be thought of as sort of a temporary holding. You know, you go in, you you get booked, you bail out. Mm-hmm. But that's not the way our jail works in San Francisco. People are held there for years and years, and they are not subject to the same requirement. And they are allowed to, in effect, torture people mm-hmm. with, with, with a little impunity. And I think that it's important to know that in the lawsuit that I filed, I got an injunction from the court saying that people who had been in jail more than four years, you get one hour of sunshine a week. That's nothing. And Dennis Herrera chose to appeal that, to contest that. So he's spending your tax dollars Mm -hmm. to appeal something that is such a tiny relief for people who are locked up. Now, to get back to your question of what this does for people, I'm not going to be talking about actual uh, prisoners inside San Francisco County Jail because, you know, they're... Their criminal cases are between them and their attorneys. But I want you to just think in terms of if you, we've all been inside for a year, right? We've all been uh, in, in basically sheltering at home for a year. And most of us went crazy in the fall. We had a hard time. And, and we were going outside. We were able to exercise. We are able to do phone calls. We were able to be on the Internet, watch television. We, you know, we have a lot of freedom. So just imagine if that was you and you were in a closet, and you were locked up now, this is what's happening now in San Francisco, from between 23 to 51 hours at a stretch, a closet that a six-foot man, if he stretches his arm out, can touch both walls. 
And this is where you're being held day in and day out for a year. Now, what does that do to your mental state? What does that do to your um, psychological state? How are you going to be able to work with your attorney? How are you going to be able to testify in court? I think that anything that is degrading uh, your mind's ability is uh, negatively affecting your ability to fight your case. Agreed. I It was a somewhat rhetorical question, and I really appreciate, I really appreciate your answer. Um, because it really is just getting down to how we are treating human beings. This is, this is inhumane. This is a, a, a crime well, against humanity. And they have, like you said, not even being able to, sorry, just not being able to talk to their lawyers, but also their family members. I mean, being deprived of, of human contact, of sunshine, of, uh, you know, just basic connection with with people. Yeah, this is this is torture. It's um, important to know that not only is it being um, enforced lack of connection with people, but they're not allowed to move. Right. Right. There's right. no place to move. I mean, in this cell, this tiny little cell, there's a metal bunk bed. There's one little table, a metal table, there's a sink, and there's a toilet. There's not a lot of space. You can't do anything else. And most guys don't want to work out in that room because there's no air in that room. And if you work out, you use up the oxygen, you sink up the room, and you still have to live in that room for, for days and days. So they can't even move. And I think that's very, very difficult. So... They're not allowed to have radios. They can't have a television, their own television set. They can't have a, a, a music player. This is enforced idleness, and it is um, it is a form of torture. Now, you were talking about calling family. I think that this is a very important issue. Mm-hmm. London Breed made an order that phone calls for prisoners in San Francisco would be free. Well, that's great. But what the jail did under uh, the Sheriff Miyamoto is he made it more difficult to get to the phone. So it doesn't do you any good to have a free phone call if you don't have a phone to make the call on. And so what he did, uh, you know, maybe it's coming out of his budget. So the whole thing is budget driven is to prevent people from having phone calls. He just doesn't give them the phone. So they still don't have the contact with their families. It's insidious. And yeah, and of course, appealing any of this is is yeah, it's that's just cruel and unusual punishment, and you know, and clearly unconstitutional. What is their reasoning? Uh, COVID. Everything is COVID. Everything is safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many, many ways that they could have pr- protected the prisoners from COVID. And they didn't choose to do any of them. They picked the harshest, most um, difficult to endure ways of doing it, which is basically the easiest for the jail. Lock them in there and don't let them out. And that's what they chose to do. So essentially, um, the idea of COVID as the pandemic just becomes a weapon, a, a weapon against 
the people inside and a convenience for those that are uh, perpetrating this. That's how I see it. That's how I see it. I'm with you all the way, Yolanda. Um, And I appreciate this. When you started, um, so I I don't know very much about you, but of course I'm assuming, you know, people are like, oh, here's, you know, here's a movement uh, movement lawyer. Here's a a lawyer for the people. When you uh, started representing, when you, when you were representing your client or clients, did, did you start with this aspect was was you did did your client come to you and say hey we are being treated this way or was there again what was the kind of the inroad to how did you know that how did you find out that this was you know was going on is it it did it did it come to you this way or is this something that you wanted to be sussing out what was happening inside of our our jails well um, I think I was like many other lawyers. I was just focused on my client's criminal case. Mm-hmm. And um, in one, but I always felt like I wanted my clients to have mental stimulation because I felt like they made better witnesses. So I always brought my clients things. I brought them magazines. I brought them articles. I wanted them to be able to stay sharp because they have to answer questions when they're on the stand. Mm-hmm. And if you live in a cage where you get no mental stimulation and you're just sort of sort of warehouse, you lose your, your mind. You, you stop being able to communicate well. So in this particular case, when um, after about two years, when we got set for trial, the jail started harassing my client. And um, he started telling me about some of the things that they were doing. And they were confiscating the magazines that I had given him and confiscating the articles that I had given him on the um, allegation that it was contraband. Mm -hmm. And so I began to realize that the jail, which should be a neutral party, they're only supposed to be warehousing you, was a partner in making sure that the people they were housing get convicted. And um, they were actively involved in making sure that you were getting convicted. And one of the ways that they can help get you convicted is by making you into a dullard, uh, a zombie, emotionally incompetent, so that you can't be sharp when you have to testify. And that opened my eyes. It opened my eyes to how rigged the system is. Wow. That's heavy. Thank you for putting it that way because we see that also in our prisons and the, and the prisoners write to us and let us know that they are dumbing us down. They are trying to literally um, dumb our minds down so that we will be compliant and that we will be con- continue to be fodder for this system. It's a double-edged sword for society mm-hmm. because um, I think that the conundrum for society is someday these people are going to be released. Mm-hmm. And when they're released, what kind of citizen will they be? And if you have someone who committed um, a bad thing, a violent act, uh, and many of times these people are people who've been traumatized as children, right? Yes. So they, they, they have a deficit coming in. They, they've been hurt and they don't know how to behave appropriately. And then you treat them like this for 5, 10, 15 years, they're not going to have any ability to reintegrate into society and be a proper citizen 
we're just shooting ourselves in the foot by doing this. We're going to spend $100,000 a year, $150,000 a year incarcerating these people, and we don't get anything for it. And that, to me, is just dumb. Agreed. I, I, and I'm going to let you have that last word, Yolanda. Um, s- really, really appreciate this work that you are doing and from the lens that you are doing it from. Um, that is so important that uh, you are coming through a human rights lens. I don't want to uh, you know, label, uh, uh, label how you do it. That's how I am seeing it. And um, it really, it, it swells my, my heart. It warms my heart to know that um, you are doing the work in this way um, and have your eyes wide open in this way. Do you feel, um, I want to give you whatever last words that you have about this, um, about what you want to say about this work that you're doing and how uh, people are being treated in this prison industrial complex Well, I think that everyone who's listening to this radio program, I would like to ask them to get on the phone and call every member of the Board of Supervisors and Mayor Breed and tell them that it is wrong and unacceptable that people are in lockdown at San Francisco County jails and never given access to sunlight, that they should be allowed out, they should be given the right to exercise, and that the jails should be forced to open up existing outdoor yards and let people go outside. Thank you. Directive taken. Absolutely. And that is one thing that we love on this program. We want action items. I am constantly telling people to call the appropriate um, officials. Thank you so much, Yolanda, for your work. Um, And if there are ever any updates, we'd love to have you back. Um, And of course, we wish you all the success. Um, you know, with this lawsuit, and we will definitely, um, you know, stay uh, stay in contact and stay up on it. Again, thank you so much for your work, Yolanda Tuang, and um, we'll talk to you again. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, if you are just joining us, this is Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. I am your host, Nube Brown. We are going to take a quick musical break and come back with some more incredible voices. Hope you'll stay with us. to read a piece from 
the exhibit that I had mentioned earlier that our dear Gia Stark uh, put together. This is written by Alex Yergoyan, Son as a Human Right. All women and men share an undeniable commonality from the moment we prevail in our struggle for conception and our spirit is given life, we are drawn to the light our sun rains down on us. Like green plants synthesize carbonhydrates from carbon dioxide and water using light as a source of energy to create oxygen. We avail ourselves of the same innate laws of nature. Since time immemorial, we've looked to the skies and stars in this discourse, we found certain truths to be self-evident, an eminent source of nourishment to the human spirit and life itself in our world as we know it, is but a byproduct of light and heat emitted by our sun. Thus, light is a necessity, an innate right bestowed on all women, men equally. We must never forget in the course of human history, humankind has accessed hers and his most primitive instincts, survival. To diminish a fellow human spirit and life by refusing one the light of day, forcing us into CDCR tombs and dungeons, these archaic practices and attitudes have no place in an evolving society. To strip a woman and man of his freedom for an offense against the community is to a degree justified, but we must understand human spirit retains certain innate rights that shouldn't be infringed upon. To give a human retained in our penal system the bare minimum of sunlight 10 hours a week only is cruel and warlike torture on one's soul. To deprive a man and woman of light in some level is, on some level is to diminish one's spirit, and this is never conducive to redemption or rehabilitation. It is, in fact, it in fact can be argued it goes against the natural laws of nature. That said... As common people, we must never allow our light and voice to be extinguished. Let our sun shine bright as our human right and be a beacon, a beacon for others to follow. In Revolutionary Struggle, Alex Yergoyan. And this from Emolimo on the killings and attacks on our Asian brothers and sisters. Well, I mean, it's senseless, you know, whenever, you know, things like this happens. And like I was saying, us, us New Africans, we know that those are our people, too, you know. So we do feel that, you know, when any body of color is, is assaulted like that. And if you would, if you just think about the history of this country, it took us, New Africans, uh, Indians, Asians, it took us to make this country what it is. I mean, the Asian population in Los Angeles, I think is the biggest population of Asians worldwide in this, or, or either uh, countrywide, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, yeah, those are our people too. So we feel some type of way by it because of everything, all the monstrosities that have happened to us, you know, with the DACA situation, with, with the, uh, the Mexican people who, you know, they took half this country that was a part of Mexico to build, you know what I mean? So this is just like another uh, dagger in, in, in um, our progressive work. Okay, and this is a basically a cry for help letter that um, I have received um, from Comrade Easley. He is in Toledo, Ohio. He said to post all of this on IG and the web and for me to get it out onto the, um, the radio station. Um, I've been on suicide watch for a month after attempting to 
um, cutting, cutting my arm in restrictive housing, solitary confinement. I got 120 days restrictive housing. Then they were trying to hold a hearing to place me back in extended restrictive housing for two to five years for defending myself from Officer Ridgeway and Hilton dragging me up the stairwell on April, no, sorry, February 16, 2021. By reflex, I bit his leg by accident. They charged me with assault. Then my disciplinary hearing for assault case number TOCI 21000923 was held while I was on suicide watch in February of 22nd of 2021. I became suicidal at hearing on February 22nd to postpone hearing for a separate case, but this case was pending. They did not follow policy to postpone and wrote a false report. I refused the hearing and refused to sign disp um, disposition on uh, February 22nd at 2.26 p.m., but I was on suicide watch on that date at 10.58 a.m., unable to attend or sign, they wrote a false report. I'm going on hunger strike this Sunday, March 28th, 2021. Mark Hingston has been on hunger strike going on 29 days. When you get this letter, Harris Jr. has been on hunger strike for seven days and maced with full riot can of mace on or around Sunday or late Monday at 4 a.m. on March 22nd in D3 South Unit by Officer Adams. Then Officer er Early um, slammed the food hatch on his hand and arm. Harris Jr. is mentally ill. Um, prior to this, he sliced his legs and arms with razor with a razor, the prison refused to send him to the hospital. He is also black, got 19 stitches after suicide attempt. Hingston or Harris Jr. is still in solitary confinement on hunger strike and suicide watch. They should be in a hospital infirmary. The new warden May is telling medical and mental health to refuse medical hospital placement and force them off constant suicide watch to decrease, um, to close watch. Uh, you're watching yourself and every... Um, everything is minutes making around. I'm not sure exactly what that means. I'm sorry. Mark Kingston is hunger striking to protest five years in extended restrictive housing, solitary confinement. Windows are covered, no phone, no email tablets, no TV. He wrote articles to the media and social media. So now his mail has been blocked, his property destroyed. Warden may have had him put on paper restrictions so he can't contact the media or his Twitter followers Hingston cut his legs open, got 12 stitches, no hospital trip or housing. We can't file grievances or complaints. It's being blocked via electronic JPay system. Contact the governor. Tell Nubay to get the to get involved. Request wellness checks via the prison medical department to keep followers posted on hunger strikes. Soon there will be more strikes and a boycott to remove Warden May. I'm promoting a work stoppage. And, I'm slow, um, and, the, and slowing is un, un, unable to communicate. So much going on. Harris Jr. had to choke Officer Early for trying to break his hand in the hatch. We haven't been able to file a grievance or complaints on paper in isolation units since 2018 because we are being forced to file on JPay. But we are being restricted from JPay in isolation for 7 to 14 days. Then it's over if you're on suicide watch and officers now assault us. We got to defend ourselves, fight back. We get outside. Uh, we get outside case for defending ourselves from Officer Ridgeway. This warden fully suppresses media contacts and and any form of protest. We took pics uh, with I, I can't breathe on our mask. He threatens us with dis disciplinary charges. 
Contact Correctional Institution Inspection Committee at 614-466-6649 and Governor's Office. New Bay broadcast on radio station. Request wellness checks. Do not engage with Hingston, though he is very deceptive, but in the struggle. Um, DRC, uh, let's see. See, it says that the state of the mentally ill C1 status, you shall not exceed 29 days restrictive housing. I'm C1 status and got 121, 120 days restrictive housing email documents. Uh, let's see. Okay, sorry. This is all, he's sending this in the, I mean, he's doing this, he's writing all of this in the dark. I will contact me if you want more information about this at newbay at sfbayview.com and I will give you all the information on how we are going to uh, make calls. This is the best that we can do is to be able to make calls. So here are the numbers for first, uh, easily those folks that are on restrictive housing call 614-466-6649. That is the Correctional Institution Inspection Committee and request wellness checks for those in restrictive housing. Regarding uh, the denial of sunlight of our prisoners in the our San Francisco County Jails, please call Shaman Walton's office at 415-554-7670. Call Dean Preston's office, 415-554-7630. Matt Haney's office, 415-554-7970. David Campos, 628-552-4000. Also call London Breed's office at 415-554-6141. People need to have sunlight. It is a human right and it is this is a this is a health crisis that we are talking about. This is taking a place on our watch in our backyard and we won't stand for it. Lastly, call the governor, 916-445-2841. Release our elders now. Again, you can reach me at newbay at sfbayview.com if you want more information, if you just want to connect with me. All right, we're going to end with me reading a beautiful statement from our beloved Romaine Chip Fitzgerald who passed on to the ancestors um, earlier this week. He was loved by so many for so long. People in this struggle, supporters, people that cared about him uh, for decades. He was caged for 51 years, I believe. And this sick system um, held him until he died inside. And I hope that this shines, continues to shine the light on the fate of so many of our other elders that are still behind the walls. Please call the governor. Please let this be a continued cry to release our elders. This is a continued crime against humanity. There is blood on the hands of our elected officials for allowing this to continue. From caging our youth to continually caging our elders. 
This should not be happening in a society that we say is just and free. It is on us as the people to act in shared humanity and look to each other, empower one another, and demand that we be treated with dignity and respect and hear our cries for abolition. Our humanity really is on the line, people, and it is only, I believe, through the power of the people, our connection, our acting in shared humanity, that things will change. And lastly, I'd like to say that the release of our elders includes our political prisoners throughout the United States and here in California. People are fighting hard to free Mumia and Leonard Peltier, Rochelle McGee, Daryl Burnett, Lewis Powell, Charles Coleman, Michael DeRoe, Leonard Alexander. These are people that have been caged for decades, 30, 40, 50, more than 50 years. The list goes on and on. Please join us in helping for the, to get our people released. Okay, the letter from Romaine Chip Fitzgerald. Upon my release, I will welcome the warmth and laughter of my grandchildren. I look forward to their hugs and smiles. I will be the grandpa present to soothe them through occasional scrapes after they show me their somersaults and expert bike riding maneuvers. I will have the chance to witness numerous bird species and listen to their songs. I'll hope for a rain to nourish the vegetables and flowers I planted days before, just as my mother used to do, and reach for the rainbow stretching across the sky after the rain. I will feel the mist on my face and rejoice. I will experience the waves of the ocean reflecting the moon-filled sky and the cozy breeze and graceful winds upon my skin. I will be outside in nature's healing environment as it soothes and comforts my body, allowing my age-filled bones to heal and rejuvenate in ways lost for most of my life. At the end of the evening, I will look forward to a soft bed and sinking my head into fluffy pillows as I curl up in soft covers and dream sweet dreams, knowing I will awake to a new day of freedom. I will have my eyes dazzled by the spectrum of radiant colors that only a city can sparkle. I look forward to enjoying the sights from a car window, recognizing the aroma of the city's possessions all converging together. I hope to share love and laughter, the joys and hardships of life with a special woman, we will lift each other's hearts as equals to face a brighter tomorrow. I will continue to appreciate the love and the challenges of family. I imagine our dialogue will include our sense of community, our country, the world, our contributions, and help to our neighborhoods, and of course, sharing my personal sorrows and hope. I will lead by example with spontaneous acts of love, compassion, and kindness, thereby demonstrating my belief in the transformation of others. I will enjoy volunteering in preschools, and or visiting the elderly and convalescent hospitals. I will always give special devotion to finding peace and moving full speed to overcome the damaging impact associated with the daily screams of terror and absence of dignity that have engulfed my prison environment. Most of all, I will be dedicated to the journey and opportunity of spending my remaining life giving, giving of myself to achieve the many treasures of what it means to be a valued human being embracing freedom.